Yo, what up, everyone? Welcome to yet another episode of Jump the Sharp. This is your host, Brian Hagen, here. Unfortunately, the woodman, David Woody, will not be with us this week, but that is because I'm having the pleasure of interviewing um, a guy that's making a, a, a lot of headway nationally right now with his uh, NBA underdogs approach. His name is Jill Gallant. He is from Odd Shark. Um, you can follow him at GDog5000. He's going to be my guest today. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a very insightful, in-depth interview covering not just uh, the approach to his, his winning ways and, and, and how it all began for him, but also just some shooting the shit corner bars type of, type of stuff that uh, you, know, you don't want to miss. It's definitely going to be fun. And honestly, we're just going to jump to that right out of the gate. Do stick around, ladies and gentlemen. At the end of this podcast, after the interview concludes, I will definitely give my three picks of the week, uh, weekend, I guess I should say. So make sure you stick around for those moves, uh, feeling good about a couple in particular. So we'll look forward to making some dough at the end of the show. Wow. Wow. That's not going to stick. I'm not saying that ever again. Uh, let's get to the uh, meat and potatoes of this week's show. We are super, super pumped and excited uh, for him to take time out of his busy schedule to join our show um, as we're just looking to, to build more and more headway. Um, once again, everybody, at Jump the Sharp on Twitter, please tell a friend, uh, pass the word on if you're enjoying, give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. But if this is your first time listening, appreciate you and appreciate your time checking us out. Really, really mean that. And I speak for my co-host Dave Woody as well. Unfortunately, if this is your first time, you're not hearing that beautiful voice, but you will next week. So if you like what you hear right now and you want to hear more of what we are normally doing every week with the picks and the analysis, please go ahead and hit subscribe. We'll be back rocking and rolling with our normal rundown next week. So, all right, let's get to it. My interview with Jill Gallant from oddshark.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, my distinct pleasure here to introduce Jill Gallant from Odd Shark. You can follow him at GDog5000 on Twitter. Uh, dog spelled the cool way, of course, D-A-W-G. But he's an NBA and NFL contributor, like I mentioned, on oddshark.com. Follow them at oddshark. Uh, great follow, super active. Jill, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us. Brian, man, appreciate you having me on. Uh I swear, if I didn't shave my beard off recently, like you and I would be seeing images of each other. I was going to say, I saw you on some other of the pods, and I was like, man, because I just, I just trimmed it today, to be honest with you, this morning. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, I'll shave it, and I'll roll out of bed. Like two days later, I have a beard. So it's, it's <laughs> not even really, uh, I have to really try kind of thing. It's just more one of those things that like I'm kind of, I've let the hair grow out pretty much the entire time of COVID and, and the pandemic. And uh now, like my coworkers, they're just calling me like gambling Jesus. Sometimes. Oh man, I used to be called in my other job. They used to call me Jesus as well. Well, I used to do, I used to work doing gas, uh, gas work. So I'd be digging in the trenches. They'd be like, "Yo, Jesus, come over here." <laughs> so we got more than more. We got a lot of things in common. One thing we don't have in common, we uh, probably won't be seeing the video feed of this, although it, this program that I'm using does record the video. One day, folks, we did tell you Twitch, YouTube, that's in our future. Um, but right now, you can't see Jill. He is wearing a Cowboys hat. Oh, how about them Cowboys? So that's something we don't have in common. But nevertheless, we're not going to we're not we're not going to discriminate here. Uh, but folks, give a follow at GDog5000. Uh, don't just follow for his leans and his picks. You know, educate yourself. This guy's this guy's got it down. Like I mentioned, NBA and NFL stuff. Uh, he's got a weekly NBA underdog report. Check out the other content he and the others on Odd Shark provide. It really could help you out. Don't let that Cowboys hat in the profile pick fool you, ladies and gentlemen. But tell me about the Twitter handle. I'll I'll fade the I'll be the first yeah. guy to fade the Cowboys. Yep. Like, again, I'm more about the money than I am the fandom. But then again, when it comes down to it, if I'm in the Super Bowl and I got a futures on the opposition, but they're playing Dallas, you know, I'm I'm probably gonna I'm probably just gonna hide in the corner or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, when we, we spoke before we went live here a little bit, but, uh, I was saying I made some money on, on the Eagles this year. Cause when you follow a team, you really get to know the idiosyncrasies of what's going on and you can find a way to make money when your team's not doing too hot either. You don't just have to bet on them because you're a fan. You know, a lot of people get that can't really hunker down and understand, you know, I know you're a fan, but you can easily go the other way. You know, what's going on, you know? 
But uh, all right, tell me about the Twitter handle, GDog5000. Where does that come from? Yeah, so I guess uh, I guess it comes from kind of what we were talking about before uh, before the uh, interview started of pronunciation of my name. Uh, I found uh, it was just kind of one of those names that uh, it was difficult to find ways to make the name stand out. Like, obviously, it's a very individual name, and, and not a lot of people are going to be able to share that. But at the same time, from a pronunciation standpoint, people are just having too much difficulty doing it. So as I've grown up and had different jobs in my career and whatever else, if, if people just couldn't pronounce it, they would just call me G or G-Dog or whatever. But the actual spelling of it, it was kind of just me just trying to stand out again. The actual number the relevance is more just a joke. Like it was more like almost like a stepbrother's joke. Like, I don't know. If, right, right. Like, or just things like that. Just like, you're Audi 5,000. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of thing. So I was like, G-Dog 5,000. And it just stood out. And then obviously people are, you know, you use it as a moniker. If I lose, they'd be like, G-Dog 4,999. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe 5,000 was your biggest bet or something. But we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that. You've, uh, you know, I, I know what a lot of people on the show are thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, it's okay. I know the show is called Jump the Sharp. You know, we, we always hang our hat on the fact that uh, tongue-in-cheek-wise, Jill, of jumping the shark. Be like, oh, okay, well, we're going to take the cover on this. We got the balls. We're gonna we're not just going to take the points like sharps do. And you're saying, you got a sharp on the show right now, Brian. No, let me let me reintroduce this man. First of all, he, it's J- Jill Gallant. Or, you know, but uh, <laughs> I said I'm going to do Gallant because I'm my, I love hockey and I remember Gerard Gallant from the Red Wings and all that. But this man is Mr. Jump the Sharp. Let me tell you why. He has documented on Odd Shark the success one would have betting the NBA underdogs this year. You're getting a lot of pub for this. Very cool uh, what you're doing. You're undertaking the responsibility of basically doing it yourself for roughly about a month now, um, gaining some national exposure. Tell us a little bit about this approach so far uh, and and what kind of made those gears turn in the first place. Sure. So, I mean, really, it just started looking at the first couple of weeks of the NBA season. And you were just seeing like guys like myself or other um, – I don't want to call them touts, but I would definitely call them just people who are making NBA picks and and cappers that I trust, you know, making quality judgments based on statistics and and trends and matchups that we have. And then they're just going out out the door. You know, you can't ever bank on a favorite to cover a spread or, or even just losing outright at home to a clearly on paper and even in general weaker team. So it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm really noticing that these underdogs are winning, especially in this type of environment that we're playing in with the NBA with no fans and, you know, the odd travel. And it's just, it's a really unconventional season for a lot of the players because a lot of them are just kind of restricted to their hotel rooms as well. And it's a little different as well from the bubble. So just kind of monitoring the numbers, you know, after the first like two weeks, you know, it's, it's a nice little story, you know, you're like, Oh, cool. Underdogs are hitting at 45%. Cool. Like, you know, it's two weeks that'll regress or whatever. Well, we're almost two months into the season now, and underdogs are still, from a money line perspective, hitting at close to or just above 40%. Insane. Now, the casual better would hear that and think, well, that's you're still losing six times out of 10. You can't possibly be making money that way. Whereas on the contrary, that's the point, is that money lines in the NBA, you know, especially if you're more of like a five, six-point dog, are probably going to pay about like 175 or more, plus 175 or more. So if those are hitting at 40%, you're eventually just going to just accrue profits over time. And just with that as a result, um, and they're not always, some of them could be, you know, these huge outright winners that are 15 point dogs that are paying like plus 600. So when we've added up the numbers from Oddshark over uh, the two months now, it's actually just over two months of the NBA season. Uh, the profits right now are hovering around $5,000, uh, maybe $5,100 actually, just around that figure. If you had bet $100 on every single game on the underdog money line. So this is there's no skill. There's no handicapping right. required. There's no... Uh, there's just bankroll and balls. Well, and also just kind of patience as well. And, sure. and also um, tolerance because one of the things that bettors don't love to do is they lose and then they lose their shit you know they just can't understand how the way that they projected the game to unfold and everything else how how this could change and how the referees could mess them over so with me what i was just like okay over the last month i probably made about nine units so like i basically bet a unit per money line every time so it would be nine games that's nine units if there's six games that night it's six units and so the, the issue though i think a lot of people when they see this is they look okay there are 400 games so far that have been played as of Monday. So by that logic, I would have had to have bet 400 units 
to only make the equivalent of 50 units. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the way that I look at it is that this isn't about trying to get rich quick. Like a lot of the time people in in sports betting, they want to do the the $2, $5 parlay with 10 games and make 10 grand and and do no effort. Yeah, look at this as an investment for lack of a better term. And that's kind of how I viewed it. Now, this being said, I've only done it for the last month. And so Mm -hmm. I'm up like around like eight, nine to 10 units right now. So it's not like anything that I would say that is like a tried and true tested system because we're kind of in an unconventional year, Brian. And that's kind of what put me in a position where I was thinking to myself, like, I've got to kind of just ride this trend and see where it goes. If it dies after a couple of days, I'll pull the chute and uh, be on my way. But sure. it, it's kind of slowly just keep, keeps on rebounding and increasing that uh, it's just kind of made sense to me now. It's just like, you know what? I'm just going to blindly take these. I'm going to take them just before tip and see where it falls. And if I'm up money, great. If not, then I have like I could change my mind later. But I think that's one of the things, too, is that people on social media – think that that's how I cap the game or that I'm telling people that that's what they need to do when really what I'm saying is this is what I'm doing. And I think the other thing too, that is kind of a stigma about myself on social media is that a lot of people think that I work at odd chart just to make picks. It's not even close to the case. Like I actually, my job at odd is to be an MBA and NFL writer. That's my job. That's what I do for a living. I basically am analyzing and also to be kind of like a sports betting analyst slash reporter of like futures odds and betting odds and kind of writing about ways for maybe sports bettors to maybe take a look at something as simple as how to bet NBA MVP or how to bet the NBA championship odds or teams to consider and stuff like that. So when I'm doing that, I'm using that information to assist me with being able to make some picks. Totally. Now, I share those on Twitter or whatever else. And then if I lose, it's like, oh, well. You know, I can't believe you get paid to do this. And it's like, actually, no, it's not the case at all. I just I get paid if you guys get paid, like in a sense, because I'm making these picks with my own money, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. So with with the um, you know, we have we have a wide array of sports gambling uh, mentalities on this show, listener base wise. There's people who are like, yo, guys, I find the guys entertaining as shit. Really cool show. Have no idea what the hell you're talking about half the time, but I just like listen to you. Then you have other guys where you could be like units, parlays, this, that, and the other, you know, reverses, all that. And, and they would be able to follow you right down the line. Just uh, a quick take on when you mention units, how, how would you kind of illustrate that for the layman when it comes to sure. sports gambling? So a unit for somebody, from, or at least the way that I define it, is a certain set amount of money that you would bet as a universal amount. So for me, you know, it doesn't have to be, this isn't my amount, but for the, for, for the underdog purposes, it was $100 bets. Okay. That means that you have to consistently bet $100 per game. So that way it's a lot easier to track. It's a lot easier to be able to kind of just say, okay, where's the growth happening? What's looking at it from an upward or downward trend? And that way, from anybody who's following you, they can understand that, okay, he's just betting the same set amount per game. So that way, he it just makes it less complicated because you'll see people on Twitter, they'll post like, I bet $5,000 on this money line here, but I bet $2,000 on this money line there. And, and what ends up happening is you don't you, – like they might recap the results at the end of the night, but you're not necessarily knowing how the progress is going because you're looking at it in dollars instead of just overall units. It makes it just a lot easier from an audience standpoint to be able to see kind of how my progress is going. With Excellent. And that 100, it's a very universal number. Like like the, for, for those that remember when Woodman and I kind of did a little um, 101 earlier in, in the, the NFL year, we we're talking about what a money line is. And that's kind of like what this unit is. You take the the 100 and you can kind of base it on the, the plus minus units, the plus minus on the money line like that. Now, folks, when he's saying 100 bucks and he's saying roughly 5,100 betting all underdog money lines on the NBA this year, and you're sitting there like, well, I don't, I can't bet $100 a game. That's fine. If this is something you're interested in, your unit can be $5 a game. It Easily. can be $10 a game. Right. So, And I think that's um, the one thing that I wanted to say to people why I use units instead of dollar amounts is because I don't want to be exclusive to people. I want to be able to – like if your units are 10 bucks, that means that you still would have made $510 exactly. over the course of the season, which is nothing to sneeze at. You know what I mean? Like over – for basically – I don't want to say doing nothing, but at the same time, like you're, you're not really like uh, – 
I guess the, the, the biggest lesson that I love to give to people, and if they don't already know it, which I feel like is common sense, but I think at the same time, people don't fully understand, is that bet what you can afford, and not only to bet what you can afford, bet what you can afford to lose. You are sure. Okay. Yeah. Bankroll management is very important. It's probably the most important lesson anybody can learn. You can bet. Anybody can make a bet. Anybody can lose a bet. But are you disciplined enough to not put your rent money on a bet? Are you disciplined right, right. enough to not chase losses? You know what I mean? Or just to, and are you disciplined enough to see, okay, this was a losing day, but tomorrow is a new day. And now we're going to try again. And I'm not going to bet beyond my means. This is how much I have to bet for this day. And we'll see where the chips lie at the end. Sure. Of I mean, it's just the way to live life in general with any purchase or <laughs> even, you know, but moderation. Right. Right. Exactly. As I'm sitting here drinking whiskey at 1230 in the afternoon. But nevertheless, uh, <laughs> that might not have been the best illustration. But um, as I mentioned, I'm, I am having a little libation right now. We like to normally we tape late on a Thursday night shows available late, late Thursday night, early Friday mornings for everybody uh, at Jump the Sharp on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we like to have a brew on the show, and a lot of times we'll go ahead and feature whatever we're drinking at the time. I don't know if if you're a connoisseur or or, or if you partake, uh, but actually, up there, I would probably say that would probably be my main source of alcohol. <laughs> I, as I've gotten older, I've had to kind of uh, reduce my uh, beer intake. Um, not what's your libation of choice up there? Uh, well, for me, again, like it's probably mainly scotch. It'd be like kind of like some of the Scottish stuff, like Glenlivet's or like oh, okay. Fittich, that kind of stuff. Um, Mainly for me, I just found as, as I've gotten older, um, it's the perfect type of drink to sip and to also have for conversation because, um, you know, it's almost like I find scotch is almost like the smelling salts of alcohol. Like I'll be sitting there having a drink and then all of a sudden I'm just like, like right. whoa, okay, Boom. all right. Just put, put you in, coach. Yeah, well, put me in, coach, but also just I found as well, like from a hangover standpoint, I'm not like, you know, I'm not dying when I wake up in the morning. And then God forbid if I end up drinking way too much, uh, not to gross anybody out, but it's probably one of the cleanest pukes you'll ever have. <laughs> well, see, you pay for what you get, ladies and gentlemen. You see me drinking this rock gut, and I'm breathing fire the next day. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so Jill, he's helping out the little guys. It's awesome with these podcasts. He's been jumping on, uh, you know, a lot of podcasts the past couple of weeks. Um, I I'll speak for them. Thank you so much for your time and doing this. You don't have to. A lot of people would probably think, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I'd be like, ah, shit, I don't have the time for all that. But you're following through with it. Really awesome. Uh, I've liked and I've retweeted all the other interviews you've done. I think it's important for us on the, on the low on the totem pole here to kind of root for each other as well. I appreciate um, it. So thanks again for what you're doing. Um, and, you know, one of, the, one of the things I wanted to get to, because I've been listening to all your other interviews, so I don't really want to just have, hey, man. Here, here's another hour exactly what you said on Tuesday. Yeah. How, how did you get your sp start in sports betting? Like, yeah, I think right. That's exactly. The most common question I get asked. And I'll answer it if you want to know it. But at I'm, I'm, I'm going to get at, like, honestly, I'll tell the people, go to our, our Twitter page. Uh, you'll see that I've, I've, I've retweeted all of his prior interviews. If you want to hear some of those kind of questions, go for that. Um, I'm, I'm, not a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is off the wall or anything, but it's just a little bit of a different take. I'm trying to get something that you probably haven't heard yet, but um, I have also noticed things you've said in interviews that I kind of want to hit on that if I was there and had my pen and paper and my hand up, you'd be like, Brian, yes. Fire away, like, right. Fire away. So um, everyone wants to know how Vegas gets its numbers. We'll never know. Fuck if they'll ever tell, you, you know, but you certainly have a method um, to gain a feel on a game. So talk a bit about how you approach capping a game and maybe how you started your model. <clears throat> if well, you have one for that, you know, well, I, I guess the one thing I would say is just to, as a disclaimer for anybody who's listening and is doing the underdog trend or even the underdog model, like that's not a model. Like if anything, I would tell mm -hmm. people that, that that doesn't require um, a lot of expertise and skill to, to do. So I would just kind of caution anybody that who's doing that just to kind of just understand that like there are people who are way smarter than me that are doing much more advanced models when it comes to kind of betting projections and outcomes of games. Now, that being said, there are ways that I would do stuff, but it really comes down for me. The most important factors for me uh, is kind of just looking at a line like I like I would almost say that I don't want to say that I look at the line the last. But what I do is I like to look at stats and matchups first. That's the main thing that I'm going to do. And a lot of it is especially with NBA because I used to play basketball a lot of the time. So I kind of feel like I have a pretty good idea, knowledge of how basketball works and how Man, our similarities are getting scarier and scarier as you keep saying <laughs> yeah so so for me a lot of the time i'm looking at like okay who's going to stop who who's going to play defense what like how is this game going to actually unfold 
Okay. Now, is there stats to back up these eye tests and, and to corroborate kind of what I'm seeing? And then thirdly, okay, what is the spread here? What are we looking at? What is the situation? Like, what's the rest? So I have to weigh all of these different variables. And then I'll look at kind of like the line and overnight lines are obviously very important for any type of, uh, any type of sport, NFL and NBA specifically, but NFL earlier in the week, if you feel confident on a game, like a favorite or whatever, you probably want to get on that sooner. So you get the best number, because if you're looking at like a minus three spread, that's going to probably go to minus three and a half minus four by the time Sunday hits, because Joe Q public is coming in on Sunday morning and driving that lineup. Now, the one thing that I would say as well is when you're kind of capping games, is to really kind of just make sure that you understand that you could lose this. Like for me, that's kind of why I stopped doing spreads. I don't want to say there isn't any value to spreads and that people can't be successful betting spreads. But for me, a lot of the time, what I always felt like is this is what Vegas is telling you that's going to happen in this game. And not to say that they don't have advanced algorithms and they don't have the eye test or experts there, but I trust my own capping over theirs. So for me, when I'm looking at a matchup, I'm like, okay, uh, last night's game, uh, Utah and the Lakers is a perfect example of seeing that the line was at minus nine and a half, maybe minus eight uh, for the Jazz, depending on the book you were looking at. I actually found that spread to be quite accurate. I thought that was pretty close given the matchups, given that Anthony Davis wasn't playing. But then there was a couple of nights ago where it was uh, Jazz and Clippers and the Jazz were favored by minus five and a half. And I was like, no, 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 not with Paul George and Kawhi playing in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, this game should be close to do a toss up. If not, you know, the Clippers could potentially be favored by minus. Right. So a lot of the time you have to know, like you have to watch the games. You have to be aware of the personnel, especially in the NBA, because at any point, um, one of the key players in a matchup or, or a defensive system will be removed. And then immediately that kind of just is a trickle down effect for everything right. that you're doing. So then once you kind of feel comfortable with all that knowledge that you have, then you have to kind of make a decision. Sometimes you can use a model that just basically project an outcome for you. For me, I don't like doing that as much. I like to be able to just go game by game and kind of come to my own conclusion uh, because models change, stats change. And I don't want to, if I'm constantly having to tinker with this model, then that's taking away from, I'm just, I'm relying too heavily on the model. Then right, right, sure. Sometimes. It's funny you said that because it's kind of like uh, a, a, a merging of me and my partner, Dave, uh, Dave Woody. I guess I should say co-host and not partner, but nevertheless, uh, me and Dave Woody's uh, approaches. I I research into things like that. I also dive into, I know you, you won't like what I'm about to say here, but I do dive deep into like the emotional side of things. You're not a fan of the, I do the look ahead games well, and stuff like that. Not, not wholeheartedly, not well, like this is a stamp. But I will look into that and have it kind of maybe if I'm on the fence about something, it might help me. But uh, it's worked. And and Dave, on the other hand, what we did during the year was we capped something called the, the DWE, the Dave Woody effect, where every week doing because we started in October, this podcast, Dave started as a novice, not really uh, he, he he's bet before, but not a lot. Um, really interested in it, though. And I've been betting since college. You know, I've been betting since probably year 2000, 2001, uh, going through books and this, that and the other. Um, so I came in as kind of like the, the, the teacher and he would kind of come in as the novice. And what he came to, came to the table was, was something we call the Dave Woody effect, the DWE, where he went through every game, every week, wrote down what he thought the spread was before looking at anything. And then he would see what the actual spread was. And the, the one that had the biggest discrepancy ended up being his picks of the week started out a little slow. He ended up being on fire for the end of the season, all the way through the playoffs. And we, me as a whole, I kind of held mine. We were 60% for the whole year for NFL. Awesome. Um, it was excellent. So your kind of approach there kind of seems like a, a merging of, of what I kind of hang my hat on and his. So it was very interesting that you said that. Well, very and cool. I, I don't want to completely discourage emotionally yeah. with, uh, with uh, handicapping. I think the main thing that I just like to say, though, is that it's difficult to kind of I guess one of the things that for me is, and because it just comes down to logic a lot of the time, is that a lot of outcomes, you people like myself or even just other people, they feel more comfortable when you can quantify something. When you could say that this happened because of this, whereas if you just say, "Well, they're due," well, right. or yeah. the law of averages, yeah. to me that that's just difficult to say one way or the other for a specific instance. But that doesn't mean that it's not wrong. Like, and this is the one thing that I've said on other pods before for me is that there's no wrong way to handicap a, a sports 
a game, basketball game, football game, or whatever. The only wrong way to think is that your way is the only right way. Sure, absolutely, right. Which, uh, which you know, I thought when I had my three and a week, but that turned turned right upside <laughs> well, down. And, no. and, and I think the main thing too is that I would just want to say is like you'll see a lot of the time, uh, like uh, people, like one of the funny jokes that we'll always say, like uh, amongst our group here at Odd Shark, is like we we say stuff like revenge factor, do. Um, <laughs> They're professional athletes, but somehow they're motivated today as opposed to yesterday. Uh, I'm writing all these down. Um, and, and like, I remember one of the things, like one of the long running jokes that like my friend and Scott Hastings, he's one of my good right. buddies here at Oddshare. Yep. He, uh, I remember he was uh, doing a lot of college handicapping last year and, and it was so funny. It was or not last year. It was a couple of years ago during the March Madness tournament. And uh, somebody was just like, yeah, but. Tennessee is they're motivated, man. They're blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the other team is motivated. Yeah, sure. March Madness tournament game. Like, of course, you know, Tennessee do. really wants to get that ball in the basket that I of course they do. And and I think that's what it came down to from a motivation standpoint of why I stopped betting spreads so often. Because we're we'll go we'll use the Utah analogy again. If they're down by four with a minute to go, they don't give a shit about Brian's minus five and a half spread ticket. They want to mm-hmm. win the game. And the so, Lakers didn't care about my three-team money line underdog no, parlay last night. No, I mean, I was sitting pretty. It was like fifteen bucks to win seven seventeen, and all I was hoping was so I hit the Warriors, I hit the uh, Hornets at, mm-hmm. at the Suns, and I had Lakers in the, at the Jazz. So the Hornets tip off was nine thirty Eastern, Lakers at ten thirty Eastern. So I just needed that game to be in the clear for me to be able to hedge. I was, I'm, I'm you know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll always say I'll take guaranteed money. You know, well, why sweat it out if you could? So that ended up finalizing right at about halftime with the Lakers. And I didn't pay attention to the game because I was actually doing some prep for this this week's show. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay, they just won. So now I can hedge. Let me see. Because it was tied like four minutes into the first quarter. I said, let me see where the – and they were down 20 at half or something. And it was minus 5,000 for the Jazz. I was like, I can't even hedge. So, yeah. Yeah, and, but, and, and, so the way it works – it has a stock market feel to it when you're going to inplay like that. Sure right? does. So that, that's one of the things that like you literally have to be sitting there staring at your screen, staring at the sports book, like side by side, simultaneous screens, watching the game and watching the sports book. And you're basically like sitting there with your finger ready to push the button on. And, and with the algorithms now, man, they update before your finger gets it. Well, and exactly. And that's one of the reasons why going back to why you, unit size is important and knowing what your unit size is and using units as the bet, betting measure is because more, most sports books now, they have a default like where you can just preload your unit. So like if it's 10 oh, okay. 100 bucks. So if you even just go to press bet, it's going to have 100 or $10 preloaded. So you can just click it. So you're not trying to find this weird figure to to fit into your uh, your hedging strategy. Did you hear that, folks? Look for that because I didn't even know that, and I didn't know that. The, I'm, I'm assuming uh, Fanduel and DraftKings and PokerStar. I'm sorry, Foxbet are the ones that I frequent, and I'm sure those being big time probably have that feature. I never even heard of that before. I'm definitely going to look into that. Um, another remark you made, and and you kind of hit on it just a second ago too, was about the spreads. Uh, you kind of cease betting spreads in general. Um, I mean, and don't and let me get let me just correct. I just I still cap the games. Like for yeah. example, like there's six games tonight. I still cap them just in general. Just and for me, what's crazy is that I actually like four of the six games tonight. But I'm still going to just take the money line strategy. Sure, sure. Of how the shenanigans that we've seen in the NBA season so far. Has that mindset as far as the I'm not going to say then cease betting spreads and whatnot, but it has a mindset in regards to. Uh, being a little bit turned off to spread betting has that come come across more for you since you've been doing this professionally? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, and in fact, like what's funny is that it's actually full circle. So, like when I first started before, I hated spreads. I didn't even know really how spreads worked. Like it took me sure. like a year to understand football spreads and basketball spreads. I was just like, why? Like why would you do that? Like why would you, like in the same for the same reason of saying like. This team is not thinking to themselves, we got to win by nine and a half points. They're thinking they got to win the game. And right. the other team is not thinking we got to stay within 10 points. They're thinking we got to try to win the game. Like, We're so, motivated to cover. Well, and it's aligning your motivations with the team's motivations. That's right. why money line bets have come in with me. Same thing with touchdown scores, like which is another, uh, we could talk about that a little bit later. But just talking about spreads and you know, why I've kind of just moved away a little bit is that for me, it just found it to be too difficult to gauge kind of how things are going. And there'll be times like in the at the end of games 
where you have, you're in position, you know, you got a minus two and a half, they're up three or they're up seven or something like that. And it just comes down and that, you know, you see this DPI in the end zone or something like that, where yeah, yeah. clearly it's going to be a touchdown scored here in a second. So the spread is now going to be a push or, you know, where it's going to co- the underdog is going to cover now because of this weak ass call. And I've just been burned too many times by that, that it just made me very jaded. But I think the main thing that I want to stress about spreads in general, I think is that I think there are people out there who are very successful at betting spreads. And not only that, but actually you have a tried and true system of how to play them. I'm just going to admit my weaknesses and say that I'm not very good at them. Like I think I am, but I'm not. And, and like I could probably hit 56%, 60% on minus 110s if I really tried and really focused. But the the losses sting more when they're spread bets, in my opinion, than they are money line bets. Gotcha. Once again, folks, being joined by uh, Gilles Gallant from Oddshark, oddshark.com, at GDog5000 on Twitter. Um, you mentioned another thing in a past interview, um, and this is kind of just something that kind of jumped out to me. And I was just like, man, I would just like for him to elaborate on that, not to get too in depth on it, but you just made a re- made a remark uh, about how there's real money to be made by the way the odds are built by uh, professional odds makers in Vegas. So can you elaborate a little bit on that and what you kind of mean by that? Well, and I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is that just like spreads are the most popular bet in any sport they're the sharpest lines they're the they're the algorithms like not saying that algorithms don't try to punch out money line odds and whatever else but these spreads are the ones that are kind of just almost like dictated by so for me there's props there's there's just other things that like there's only like there's only so many odds makers they have in house so Mm -hmm. they can only make the lines as sharp as possible and focus on so many things so it's the same reason why you'll see a lot of people have a lot of success uh betting on mid-major college basketball games as opposed to the ESPN ACC game kind of thing, because the lines are maybe not as correct as they should be. And maybe these people aren't watching these games to be able to give an accurate spread. So that's kind of how I felt is that there is money to be made. It's just more, where are you looking? What are you looking for? Like the unfortunate part for me is that I actually love betting the headline games. Those are like in college hoops or whatever, like those are like my favorite games to bet, even though people will say that they're sh- like, cause I love betting on, on underdogs in that spot because again, a lot of the time you're betting on top shelf teams and you're getting a hundred plus one fifty or something like that in a coin flip game. Why wouldn't I take the underdog in that right. spot? Look at Marquette at UNC last night, you know? Oh <laughs> man, you're just trying to hurt me now. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a Carolina fan. So that killed me. Like, cause well, they you know, I, I grew up a Tar Heel fan as well because I, I was a big fan of the, the Montrose and, and George Lynch team and all that. So, And I, I've still to this day, my UNC love has dissipated a little bit. Not that I don't love them. I root for them. They're still probably my favorite college basketball team uh, other than LaSalle where I went. But see, I get te- see, I'm Canadian, so I feel like I get a little bit of a pass on this. But I get teased in my office because I have what – like UNC is my team, but at the same time – I have a favorite team from every Power Five conference. All right, and I wear like I'll wear like a, a Kentucky. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So with ACC, it's UNC. Okay. With uh, it used to be with Big East, it used to be Syracuse, and then they moved to the ACC. So I feel like I still can be a Syracuse fan, but sure. but at the same time, they're Big East to me. Our, our uh, a good friend of the show, Russ, went to Syracuse. He'll be he'll be happy to hear that. Nice. So yeah. So that's Big East. Of course, I, I like. Uh, and then, uh, so for Big Ten, Michigan, obviously, like just so. Uh, and then uh, Pac-12, I'm actually an Oregon guy. I really loved Oregon. Uh, and then Big 12, it's kind of funny. I actually always loved Texas. I don't know why. Like, I think maybe just like I, I liked them before they had they got Kevin Durant. And I've always rooted for the program to be well in college basketball. But those are the teams that like you'll see me wearing colors like that sometimes. And people are just like, were you just wearing a Carolina video? <laughs> the the college year? basketball rainbow, ladies and gentlemen. Well, and the way I look at it is there's 330 sure. teams. Like, of course. I'd love to have a couple more. If it was only 30 te- college basketball teams, then, yeah, maybe you just won one fan. Yeah, right. I mean, you're not, you're not going to 
be a fan of the Newfoundland, whoever you got. I mean, you know, they're, they're not, they don't got college basketball up there. <laughs> well, and, and the reality is, too, is that Carolina trumps the ball. So if they're ever playing each other in matchups right. or whatever else, I'm always going to go to, go to, go to Carolina. Well, the one thing, as we also would have in common then, because of my former love for the team, now my just rooting interest in UNC, but obviously we both know who our most detested team is. And uh, I still, to this day, and that'll live forever, detest the, the Blue Devils. So, well, and again, I don't. Det- Here's the here's one of the, like maybe like a hot take is being a UNC fan. I don't hate Duke the way that I used to. I yeah. used to hate Duke like Leitner, John Shire, sure. JJ Redick, like you know, like uh, or uh, Kyle Singler to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. Those were the times that maybe I wasn't a huge fan of Duke. And then once they started getting like the high end D one McDonald's All American players, like the year that they got Julia Okafor and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow, like. That to me, that was an awesome team to watch. Like I loved watching them. Yeah. Even like the year that they had Zion and RJ, like I loved watching them. That doesn't mean that like I was going to bet on them to win the championship, right, right? But at the same time, I could respect it maybe a little more. For whatever reason, whenever they were a four-year senior and they were just this annoying white guy who just <laughs> get charges and and then like get to, and then hit the three and then always get calls for him and everything else. That stuff used to just drive me crazy. Yeah. Whereas we, uh, one and done scenario, I'm not as against Duke in that spot. Big time. Well, that's the nicer Canadian approach. No, I'm kidding. Probably. I know you're 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 both of the Americanized and the Canadian side. I'm just busting balls. But the uh but we have a lot of listeners who don't have time to research their picks, you know. most of us don't. Um as far as that's concerned, do you have any tips or trends that are more available than they might think? to have at their fingertips then because yeah. like i know you mentioned your number one go-to i believe you said was stats.mba.com for the nba like that's that's your jam oh, uh, i i love the team I rankings it, and i it, think that's it, great team rankings too like they're both what i would consider gambling bibles like as right. far as being able to, from a stats perspective if you're looking for team stats specifically like team rankings is awesome like and I, they're probably going to give me a sponsorship after this the amount of talking about them but, <laughs> but at the same so time, much for me not having to rehash old things yeah. <laughs> no that's okay i mean i want people to know kind of like some of the sites that i would use because i want them to use them too because i want them to win money i'm not in competition mm-hmm. with other people and other betters like i'm i think i want everybody to be successful i just don't crap on my picks too that's kind mm-hmm. of how i am with it for but, sure uh, but i guess what i'm getting at is that, like those two sites would probably be Good. Obviously, oddchart.com is awesome from a database standpoint, especially looking at spread scenarios. Like one of the things that I love to do is uh, this was something that I tweeted out yesterday is I just wanted to see how the Lakers are as underdogs with LeBron in the lineup. And they had never been an underdog of more than like I think five and a half points with LeBron in the lineup. And so here they are going into Utah, who are they were uh, 21 and one against the spread in their last 23 games. Um, and they were nine and a half point underdogs at one point with LeBron. And then it came back down to eight and a half once more public money came in. But it didn't even matter because they got smoked. But the point was is that I was just looking to see the last time that the Lakers were in this spot. And it was Christmas Day on December 25th, 2018, when they played the Warriors. And even though we got hurt in the third quarter, the Lakers won that game by 20 points. And the Warriors were stacked in that game. So for me, I know that obviously the matchups are different. I know that some people weigh trends differently. It was just one of those things that I just thought was interesting to share for people. And that's the type of information that you could find at oddshark.com. Absolutely. And and we mentioned he uh, contributes both on the NFL, NBA side, uh, weekly NBA underdog report, amongst other things. Really urge you guys to go check it out. We will segue a little bit into the pigskin side of things. Um, as your Twitter bio confirms, you are the king of the touchdown score prop. Um, Self-proclaimed, but... but. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. We call it the pay dirt prop here. We every every uh, During the football season, we have a segment on the show, show called pay dirt prop. Hashtag pay dirt prop. The guy who we think is guaranteed score a touchdown that week and uh, was pretty pretty successful. We were successful in our, as our bets over the course of time, obviously, 60%, not too shabby. If you were to include, I was doing a segment called Easy Teasy. Every week I would throw a teaser out there. That went like 10 and 4 during the season. Nice. If you inco- include everything else, you're making dough every single week listening to the show. Pay dirt prop, we would always try and parlay together. And we got comfortable with it because you could, e- like, and your approach is similar to this. You could easily take the minus 200 Tyree kill every week and be like, told you. But why not take the plus three, 300 McCole Hardman and then really make some dough? Um, and you kind of ha- would have that approach, you know, instead of Gronk, you took break 
in the Super Bowl kind of deal. And you're just looking for a better bang for your buck. And we, we spoke to people about that as well. But I want to know, because it's that dangling bait out there, do you have the discipline to stay away from the first TD score prop? As uh, you know, and, and just go with the. It took me a while, but yeah. I did. You, know, just, you have to lose enough to realize that it's just not worth it. Right. Because the only way to properly bet a first touchdown prop, and even then you'll probably still get burned, is you got to do like two on each side. Because if you try to just do one guy and you just walk away, that team might not even get to touch the ball. Right. And, and your prop is dead. Good point. Yep. Two minutes in the game. And it's not even your fault. You didn't cap it improperly it just didn't work out and that's why those odds usually pay that but at the same time god it's so hard to do so i just don't do them anymore like i'm still like i think i made one first touchdown score bet um in the playoffs and it was travis kelsey in the chiefs uh for the super bowl, super bowl right. on that ticket to catch yep. they haven't scored a touchdown yet um so what i do though is and like you said, a kind of dangling at it is I personally love to bet on guys who are more the second or third wide receiver on the team, maybe the backup tight end, backup running back to a lesser extent. But if you're getting a starting running back of plus money, you may as well take it because again, it's just I'm more of an odds guy and opportunity as well. So I'm it depends on the player and the matchup, but I'll weigh odds and opportunity as kind of like there's their own separate important factors i don't think either one is more important than the other so what i do as well is i'll be kind of looking at like a matchup i guess i want to give a disclaimer to people as well just kind of a little background of why i guess i've got this moniker of being a touchdown scorer uh sharp i guess jumping it here Uh but uh so last year i would bet touchdown props for every primetime game i basically started posting them pretty much from week one onward but from primetime games only, I was up 92 units last year in 2019. Wow. Now in 2020, different story. I started including Sunday games, like Sunday afternoon, like the, the 1 p.m. Eastern or the 4 p.m. Eastern games. I got killed on those. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I made probably about 25 units in profit for um, primetime games, but I ended up giving away most of it back on the Sunday games because I was spread too thin from a knowledge standpoint. What was happening is I've got 13 games essentially to cap. That's kind of how I look at it. Right. And I'm spreading my knowledge and my and my information and my model of the stuff that I want too wide. Now, sometimes I would have good weeks, but at the same time, it was nowhere near what I was doing in prime time where I get to focus on one specific game. I can look at different matchups. I can look at wide receiver cornerback matchups a lot deeper and be able to kind of make that play. Plus, I'm making about three or four plays on one game on that same where, game right where it's typically on a sunday afternoon I'm, I'm only betting one guy per game right so i would kind of get it burned as a result of that it, sometimes it would work out sometimes it wouldn't but but at the same time it was just kind of it, i set myself up for failure by including the sundays yeah. but at the same time i'll hang my hat on the prime times and that i know that when the lights are brightest the most people on twitter are watching me that totally. I, I will i will succeed well, as we mentioned, we're you know we're, we're we're gaining steam with this pod. We're hoping maybe by next season we could do some live watching, you know, via Twitch or whatnot. Or some, would love to have you jump on and say, "Yo, this is the guy I'm looking at for tonight." We'll be like, "Oh, there he is." Ladies yeah. Well, and I mean, one thing I do is, oh, I just started doing this weekly for uh, Odd Chart, kind of closer to the end of the season because I wanted to see and make sure that the touchdown market is still as popular as it was in 2019 when I was doing really well with it. And then what I would do is. Uh, I started to write like my weekly favorite touchdown scores and they would essentially be the Sunday picks, the Sunday afternoon picks. So I was kind of not sharing them as much on Twitter and hoping that people would come over to the site and read them because at the end of the day, that is kind of how I get paid, like my relevance to the company. Um, So I was trying to be able to do that because at the end of the day on Twitter, while I love all my followers and I love everybody that loves to chime in and all the supporters, the end of the day that that doesn't really do as much for me from a career standpoint, from a profile standpoint, it does. And it does. So um, that might continue next year. It might not. I might, but I, one thing I'll always do for primetime games is about an hour before kickoff. I'm going to share my three or four best bets. And then what I'll do is usually the way that I like to do it is I like to take one guy per team. And usually it could be the, it could be the, favorites about 150 to one plus 120 or it could be even a guy in plus 250 to plus 350 and then after i do that i always like to include one long shot and typically my long shots my how i used to make a lot of money was on quarterbacks quarterback mm-hmm. prop odds yep. have just died in the last year or so man because 
Um, the reality is they're scoring more touchdowns. Sure. But just to give a, an explanation of just how much the odds have changed in just a little bit over a year, I think books are kind of noticing that the markets and the odds were just completely erroneous of what they were doing. Is that uh, I'll go back to, I think it would be week six of the 2019 season. It's when the Giants were playing the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Now, in that game, Tom Brady was paying plus 2,500 to score a touchdown. He hadn't scored a touchdown the entire previous season in 2018, and he hadn't scored a touchdown leading into that game. Well, he scored two touchdowns that night, both on quarterback sneaks, the classic Brady jump over the line at, at the goal line. And uh, yeah, it was great. I made, you know, $2,500 just off of that if you made a $100 bet. So, but the one thing that's hilarious is that then we'll fast forward to week one of this season. New team with the Buccaneers playing against the Saints, which are probably the toughest r- rushing defense yep, in the league. Yep. Uh, it was them in the box who allowed the least amount of rushing touchdowns all year. He scores the first touchdown of the game as a plus 700. So first off, just to kind of put that in perspective, already the odds are completely juiced to hell to the point where you're looking at Brady at plus 700 and you're like, 43 years old, goal line against this defense? And that's first touchdown score, yeah. I don't think so. I'm not not betting that. And then he scores. And then even going into the Super Bowl, I don't even think he had a chance to even get a goal line carry. I'm pretty sure Leonard Fournette is the only one who scored the rushing touchdown in the game. He was plus 400 to score a touchdown. At 43 years old, just pick a guy Amazing. like that. So a lot of the time what I've found has been the best way now you have to adjust to that. You can't take like the guy, the pocket passer, and uh, to be able to score the touchdown. Right. Now it's time to look at rookie quarterbacks. Rookie quarterbacks or backup quarterbacks in their first starts. A lot of the time what you're seeing is – First off, any quarterback that's coming into the league now is not a conventional pocket passer. They're always all dual threat. They touch the ball in every snap. And then what happens is, is they don't get a lot of practice time. They snap the ball. Their Freak first read is covered. Their second yep. read is covered. They panic and they run. Yep. And it happens all the time. Like There's in- two things I like about that with the rookie QBs that I often take as far as bets is the over on, on, on rush yardage and things like that, a touchdown score. And I also like to take, because sometimes, a lot of times a, a, a rookie quarterback will have a no-name tight end. Mm-hmm. I'll oftentimes take that tight end for for a touchdown scorer as well. It could be a you know Seals Jones or any, somebody random, and a lot of times they just be, they'd be practicing together as backups with the twos and threes or right. on the squad together. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's awesome stuff, man. Um, once again, Jill Gallant from Odd Shark at G Dog Five Thousand joining us. Uh, we're going to change the change the feel here a little bit. I just kind of want to get into sports and being a sports fan, man. Because that's what we are, ultimately. We're, we're fanatics. Obviously, you're a fanatic. You do it professionally. If you gamble on sports, that means you really love it. But uh, what's your first first thing that comes to mind? What's your first sports memory you, you have? And, and and I know we're around the same age. So if you say the word Joe followed by Carter, interview's over. <laughs> are you a Blue Jays fan? Let's try something here. Uh-oh. Oh, oh and it's literally Joe Carter- Swinging for the fences along with Robbie. Uh, oh, man. Kelly Gruber, Devon White. Kelly Gruber. White. I'm 36 years old. Like, what do you think? Like, growing up in Canada, it was, like, clearly the only thing to ever pay attention to. Yep. And, like, I'm not a Habs fan at all either. But because right, 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 of my right. entire family. So, the next year, they win the cup as well in 93. So, yep. 92 and 93, technically my first sports memory would technically be Pittsburgh winning the Stanley Cup against the Minnesota North Stars. That, that was 91, I believe, right? Or 90. And then 92, I didn't watch, like, I didn't even, like, I mean, I would have been eight years old right, you know, right. in 92. So um, I got to see the 93 Super Bowl with the Cowboys, but I didn't see the 92 Super Bowl. So I kind of, I would say, like, even though I, I uh, have not seen them win a Super Bowl since 96, right. I have at least got to see them win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. So maybe I'm not as probably as touchy and jaded as maybe some of the other Cowboys <laughs> fans that are out there who come in every season thinking that they're going to win the Super Bowl when that's one of the hardest things in sports to do and act like you're just going to be able to walk through just because you have a high paid, high paid skill players on Classic your team. Classic obnoxious Cowboys fans. No, I'm kidding. Well, no, but you, I, I'm, I'm not apologizing. For hey, I'm a Philly fan. What do you think? I mean, we ooze obnoxiousness, so it's all good. Well, and the one thing, too, is that and I guess it, I don't want to say that it, uh, it was annoying that you won, that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but it's just more one of those things that now you have, like, at least an eight-year more long window of, sure. of immunity. 
Of course. Like, like even now, like with all the bullshit that just happened with Wentz. And, yeah. And, I was uh, just about to say, uh, Roseman's trying to negate that now. But, but even now, but, it doesn't really matter because you could still point to 2018 and just be like, ah, well. Right. And I know we took the Raptors in 01, the Sixers did, you know, in game seven. But yeah, I, I know you, you kind of thought Donahue might have had a hand in that, huh? <laughs> no, no, I, I thought he did in the next series. The next no, I know. I'm messing with you. Because at the end of the day, he did. Like, uh, Sure. Um, the... I don't want to go into specifics like of game five and game six of that, of the Eastern conference finals, but that year, man, like it was that year. And then even the following year with the Kings and the Lakers, like it's, I don't even want to say that it's documented. Like I'm pretty sure that it's now like legal. Yeah. Testimony yeah. That yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm not going to dispute that, but I think the main thing that I would just say is uh, Iverson and Sixers deserved to make the finals that year. They were, they were the best team. They, they had the best player. Um, yeah. Matt Geiger. Well, no, no. technically, <laughs> the team they were playing in the finals had two the, had the first and second best player in the league at that time. So, right, right, right. Yep, uh, yep. So that memory with uh, Pittsburgh, you say, it's, it's what's the what's the first memory that you can remember sports wise that made you fall in love with sports, like utterly heads over heels, you're going to be a sports fan for the rest of your life. Ninety six Super Bowl, yeah, beating the crap out of the Steelers. Yeah, that was when I knew I was like, this is my team. Like, and the thing is, I loved them in 93 and then, you know what I mean? Like, I loved them in general, but it just, it was one of those things that like, when I saw it, it was like, it confirmed everything that I thought I knew what I saw when I was eight, nine years old. And of course you're a little more, and when you're young, you know, you're a front runner, you're impressionable. They're winning the Super Bowls. It was very easy to fall in love with them. Uh, so that was probably it. And then for basketball, like I was a little bit of a chubby kid growing up and, you know, it didn't really have my growth spurt to be about six, three until I was like. 14 15 so even though i liked basketball and i just wasn't very good at it so you know i mean I, obviously i think you'd be an idiot to say that you weren't a fan of michael jordan in the 90s right and, and right and it's funny you mentioned front runners you know i'm the youngest of, of three boys and, and in the late 80s it was front runner central you know my brother had his michael jordan chalk line jacket my other brother had his new york mets chalk line. and looking at looking back now like what the hell are you doing rooting for the mets dude like, mm-hmm. but I mean, the Phillies had nothing in the late eighties. We were junk, you know, but, uh, it's just funny. Like as a kid to see in the front runner aspect is totally true. Uh, well, and that's why, like, when you asked me my first memory, you get two Joe Carter memories with that, right? Like 93 oh, yeah, I, and I, 93. So yeah. 93, 93 is probably stinging more for you, but 92 is beating up on the Braves. That's eh, no harm. No foul. Yeah. That stung for exactly 15 years, but then we got over it. No, eight, all good. But now going to, uh, as, as far as the, the memory is uh, portal is concerned, what's your first gambling memory? When do you remember actually being nervous? Holy shit. I just put my well-earned money on something. I could lose it because I put it in the hands of a sports team. I, I mean, I would go even earlier than that. Like, I would just say on the playground, just playing dodgeball. And, oh, okay. Getting like five, ten bucks on a game or something. All right. Like I mean, probably five bucks because again, the reality is, ten. When I was ten years old, five bucks felt like a thousand. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, so uh, you know, you're playing and you're stressed and you know whatever. But that that's besides the point. That's just more gentleman's type type of bet. Sure, sure. We all grew up on because sports books and, and you know and local bookies and whatever else like you're not exposed to that kind of stuff until you're probably in your at least your teenage years you know obviously hopefully the parents are doing a good enough job to keep you away from that right right um, but at the end of the day i guess the gentleman's bets types of thing like where you're betting 10 20 bucks kind of thing like even those feel like pressure because it's not even just betting the money it was about reputation like you know sure. what I mean? like so yep. If you lost the money, sure, but then your group of buddies or whatever would chirp you and tease you or whatever that you lost, and then so it's the double stake. The twenty bucks meant nothing. It was the right the, the, the ridicule. That ironically that, enough, look what well, look what you've parlayed. No pun intended. Parlayed your your profession into. You know, it's kind of the same thing. You're 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 betting, but it's like, oh, my reputation. But you know, your reputation precedes itself. Well, sure. with twenty two. So before I started at Oddshark. Like Joe Osborne is one of my good friends. Like that's how like we went to school together in college. Like he's the one who got me onto Odd Shark. But at the same time, he knew how deep I was into NFL and NBA. And like I'd be, I don't want to say I'm schooling him on stuff because he has a database of knowledge to him that is unparalleled with a lot of people. Right. But at the same time, I'd be showing him stuff and maybe showing him some interesting takes on stuff, whether it be for gambling or even just in general of the game of basketball or game of football, that he was like, you know what, that that's interesting. Like, you know, I didn't think of that or whatever else. So um, when the time came when he got a position at Autrek and was kind of running the place, you know, he had brought me on and he had knew that I was betting before, but what was happening? So I came from 
um, sales and marketing background. Uh, I went to school for journalism, but then I went and pivoted from that and was kind of more doing sales and marketing and trying to chase after the money. And then uh, what was happening was is that I was just kind of still betting and watching games so much that it was taking not taking away from my ability to do my job, but more it just that was my focus. Like I, it would take away my focus because I was more focusing on this stuff because it was more fun. Like it was, why wouldn't I want to talk about sports and bet yeah. on sports and all day? Like who doesn't want to do that if you're a sports fan? So um, I was doing that, and then when the opportunity came up of like, hey, do you want to be involved in a professional level? Of course. How's your writing? Okay, well, let me look. And I came from a journalism background, so I had some writing background, but I had to adjust, obviously, to their writing standards and just also getting used to more like long form blog magazine posts instead of just, you know, writing a tweet or a couple of characters. Right. Well, one more for you and then something fun that our our fans will will love on the way out um, to to wrap up here. But um, one last question. You're, You're a parent, as am I. Um, a lot of our listeners I know uh, that have reached out are, are also parents. We, we know how difficult it is to balance parenting and just leisurely watching sports. Mm-hmm. So, ha- like, how do you balance not only parenting and leisurely watching sports, but also the gambling side of things with that? Like, how do you find time to really learn about the friggin' Memphis Grizzlies or something like that? You know what I mean? Well, it obviously it helps that that's my job. Exactly. So that that, that helps from a standpoint of when I get downtime – it's not discouraged for me to go do a deep dive. No, right. Three point shooting of the Grizzlies. So that helps. But when it did, but before I started this job, you're right. It's a tough thing to juggle. Like, I, like I find that uh, a lot of the time you'd be doing like your research in the evenings or even just like research during the day. Like when you have like a couple of minutes, maybe during your lunch or whatever else um, it's difficult to juggle. So again, I wouldn't say that uh, it's just something that you can just, walk into and just act like, you know, I'm going to be able to know everything. Like you have to constantly do research and stay on top of it. Now, luckily uh, it doesn't feel like a job to me to do that. So that's the key is that if it feels like you have to force it or it feels like you are put in a position where, you know, I have to make this bet to like, this is the one thing that I do is I don't post picks just to, just to feed the followers kind of thing. Like I won't like the only reason why I even started doing the underdog method is just because it was paying before that. I wasn't even really releasing my NBA picks because that's not what I want to be known for. Like it's cool that I do release picks for everybody, but I was hoping that like people would want to follow me along to be able to do content and, you know, and, and just be in general supporting my, my, I guess without sounding egotistical, my brand, I guess. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, but the one thing that I would say as well is that, uh, with kids, I have found that introducing them to football at an earlier age has helped because I feel like it's going to be so difficult to try to be like, Hey, let's watch football on or red zone on Sundays when they're like 10, 11, 12 years old. Like my kids are fairly young now. They're, uh, one's three, the other one's two. So during this pandemic, it's been, it's been a little bit of a trying process, uh, just to, maintain my writing schedule and, and keep everything up while also them running all over the place. Right. You can't just stick an iPad in front of their face and say, go leave daddy alone for an hour while I write this article. Now, let me ask a question. Have you ever stuck your phone in front of them and said, here, pick a team and whatever team they put? No, because again, they'll just end up closing out the sports book <laughs> app and bringing up YouTube and wanting to watch Wiggles or something. Right, like right, right. Like, you know, like right now, like anytime that I even try to put on sports, they're just like, no, I want to watch, uh, I want to watch princesses on Disney, oh, Vegas, or whatever, which is great. Like, I love the fact that they want to do that. I thought uh, you were going to say, I love princesses on Disney. Well, it's great. more the innocence, right? I just want <laughs> yeah, to right. maintain that until they get to, uh, I don't know, the age of 20. Of course. About for sure. What they do on their own time. is, is Yeah, up. I mean, you, you mentioned about the research. You don't have time to do research, things like that. Well, that's what that's what Jill's here for. And people like uh, at Odd Shark and hell, us here at Jump the Sharp, you know, I mean, I got, I got a five-year-old, I got a two-year-old, I got another one on the way in April. Tomorrow we're literally settling. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Tomorrow we're literally settling on our new house, my wife and my family. I'm in my parents' basement right now in Northeast Philadelphia, which is what you see behind me. Like life has just been crazy, but we find a way to make it happen. You can, you can bank on us. Um, so the fun thing I want to do before we get out of here, one of our segments on the show we do is we call it No Huddle. And it's 30 seconds. And Dave will give me three three, two, or three games, and I just got to, boom, just pick a W, pick a winner. And then I, I, I would do it back to him. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I'm going to give you three NBA games that are happening tomorrow night. I, spreads aren't even up right now. If they are, they're super early. 
I just want to see what you think. Is that cool? Go for it, man. All right. So let me get my stopwatch going here. Ladies and gentlemen, Jill, Jill Gallant from Odd Shark, ready to rock a no huddle. Um, let's rock and roll. on, And we're going to start in three, two, one. Pick a winner. Pacers at the Celtics. Celtics. And Jazz. I'm going to say the Celtics are probably about minus one and a half, minus two favorites, just with how sh- crappily they've been playing lately. But they just lost three straight row games. They're coming back to home. I think they're going to win handily. Jazz at the Heat. I'm going to take the Heat money line in that spot, even though I think the Jazz will be favored by three and a half. All right. Trailblazers at Lakers. Oh, man. Uh, Lakers will be favored probably by five and a half, maybe six. I'm going to take the Lakers. Got Lakers in there. Beautiful thing. I know, but the Blazers are one of my favorite teams to bet on from a money line standpoint. So I uh, I had to really think about that one outside of the other two games. It's all good. It's all good. Hey, for, for giving at analysis while doing the no huddle at 35 seconds, ain't ain't too shabby. Very, very well done. I will be – here's a little teaser for those who stick around uh, for the rest of the show. I'll be ending the show with a couple of picks. One of those, uh, one of those matchups will be uh, highlighted on that. Uh, Jill, man, thank you so much for your time, dude. It was really, really cool what you do. Once again, at GDog5000 on Twitter from oddshark.com. Jill Gallant, uh, we can't thank you enough for your time. Hope to have you back if, if you'd be cool with doing that again. But uh, so, so cool. Thanks again, man. Well, Brian, thank you very much for having me, man. Appreciate the support. Appreciate uh, anybody who's trying to kind of open up in the space and, and, and the, the industry. Like, I, I just want to be able to kind of support people. I'm kind of one in those positions that uh, with the NFL, after it finished, uh, like, because I'm doing usually a lot of media appearances, like, whether it be for NFL or leading up to Super Bowl. And you know, once the NFL kind of dries up, I'm still doing other things. But at the same time, I just was kind of in a position where, um, you know, I had a little bit more free time. And uh, I've kind of felt like it was one of those spots that I have a lot of supporters and a lot of followers. And if this is a way that I can, you know, keep sharp from an interview skill standpoint and get some reps while also kind of supporting other people who support me, it was a win-win. That's awesome, man. And that just goes to show, folks, no matter what you do in life, practice makes perfect. Doesn't just have to be sports, this, that, anything. You can take more reps doing anything you do out there and make yourself better. But uh, once again, thank you so much, man. Ladies and gentlemen, stick around for the rest of the show. And uh, thank you, Jill. Man, how cool was that, guys? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Jill Gallant from Odd Shark, really, really fun to uh, speak with him and to really see how the mind of an industry professional, betting industry professional, works and the evolution of uh, you know how he started just being a fan and and getting into the sports uh, gambling scene and just seeing how his his career took off and and uh, only only higher and better things for him. Um, in the future. So once again, folks, a great follow on Twitter, um, as is at jump the sharp, mind you. Okay. So let's hope that I'm going to start. I'm going to try and get more active regarding the picks that I do. They seem to be, uh, hitting very well lately, uh, when I don't put them on, on the Twitter machine, but nevertheless, I don't think that's really any kind of, um, insensitivity of mine. It's really just that I don't think to do it all the time. And I just don't really have the time to do it. Um, with my, crazy two-year-old son running around headbutting my five-year-old daughter. Uh, but nevertheless, let's get a couple of these picks now for you loyal, awesome badasses that have stuck around a buck three into this podcast. First and foremost, he hit on it. It's the one I like a lot. Um, he went ahead and set a line at Lakers minus five, uh, five and a half, six. He picked them to win. As a matter of fact, he picked, he jumped the sharp on all of his no-huddle picks uh, in his mind. I'm going to roll with the Lakers tomorrow night. Uh, line to be determined, but I like them. I like them a lot. Even if it's at minus six, like he said, I'd roll with them. Uh, they are a team that is due. <laughs> I just had to say it after that interview. No, but they honestly, LeBron, if he has any kind of um, determination left or motivation. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just really trying to hit on everything he said not to do. But in a way, I feel a lot of this about this game, so I'm sorry to put it that way. But on the emotional side, the way I like – there's no way coming off of a beat down in Salt Lake City, the way that they did on Wednesday night, that this team doesn't come out firing. Um, So I like this game in two ways. I think that the Trailblazers are going to look to try and beat a dead horse or beat a horse when it's down or whatever the hell that saying is. 
beat off on a horse, I believe might be. No, that's not the anyway. Um, look for Damian Lillard to be hot tomorrow night. Um, possibly forty points, I'm saying, but I do think that the Lakers get their shit together in a big way. I'm looking for a boombastic kind of game by the Lakers and the Trailblazers to play well also. So I think I'm giving you two picks on this one game. Lakers and over. That's what I'm rolling with on that. And let's just go ahead and move on to the ice now for the last pick. This game is going to take place on Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. One o'clock in the afternoon, Philadelphia Flyers at the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Not trying to hit on the homer effect, but the Flyers, after – being embarrassed in Lake Tahoe, got their captain back, had three assists uh, in a W that made my wild a little fatter last night. Um, Flyers home against the Rangers. They won 4-3. Should have won by a lot more, actually. Um, if it weren't for the power plays that the Rangers had, they would have they would have really blown them out. Uh, they really need to get a streak going right now. They had a lot of time off due to the um, you know lay, layoff with the COVID issues. They came back slow, which everybody will normally do, but – that game against the Rangers, you saw some meshing uh, that you just haven't seen in a little bit from them. And I think it's time for them to go on a little bit of a run, definitely getting a W in Buffalo Saturday afternoon. And that's that. That's going to be my three picks for the week. Lakers, I mean, tentatively, we'll say, this is kind of how we're going to have to do it on this show right now is give tentative spreads or just feels for games that aren't yet um, handicapped. So Lakers W, I'd be comfortable. We'll, we'll use Jill's example. I'll be comfortable with that minus five and a half uh, at home against the Trailblazers. The over in that game, I'm thinking these teams better get 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 the work. Both of them, both of them are going to come in hot. And uh, Flyers at the Sabers, Philadelphia Flyers with the victory on Saturday. Those are my three picks for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Hagen here saying thank you so much. If you lasted this long on this show, I really hope you enjoyed the interview. We plan on doing a lot more, not just with industry professionals, mind you. We're going to rock a lot more uh, fun segments, including a fan segment or a listener segment or just gambler like we are, degenerate degen segment um, soon here. So on uh, Twitter at Jump the Sharp. Go ahead and keep an eye out for that. We will be reaching out to folks shortly if to see if they have any interest. If you guys want to jump on, reach out to us. Beat us to the punch. Uh, shoot us a DM at Jump the Sharp on Twitter. Once again, Brian Hagen here. Next week, Dave Woody will be back with our normal run-of-the-mill show. Uh, anybody here listening for the first time, thank you so much. And everybody, of course, that's been rocking and rolling since day one. We really, really big time appreciate your support. So uh, catch up with you guys in a week. Peace the fuck out.